And I invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, at verse 46. Chapter 10, verse 46. As we come to this passage, it might be helpful to you to understand what has happened. Jesus, if you think of a map of Palestine, you have the Sea of Galilee here, and the Jordan River comes like this. Here's the Dead Sea. Jesus has left the Galilee area in Decapolis and Perea, that area, and he's come down the eastern side, probably he's come down the eastern side of Jordan River, and he's crossed at a ford in the Jordan River. Going west, he comes to the Jericho area, and that's where our text takes place in the city of Jericho. He's passing through this town. He's about to leave it. He's on his final journey to Jerusalem, and to do that, he must do certain things, including Jericho, but he's on his way to give his life as a sacrifice for sinners like us. And that's the setting as I begin to read now at verse 46 through the end of the chapter. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up. He's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. All of us experienced a time, probably at home, when we stumbled in the dark. Uh, either we lost our flashlight or misplaced it. The light is rather dim. And before we know it, we bang our leg into a, a chair or whatever. And we realize how wonderful it is to be able to see clearly and not have to grope around in the dark. But usually it's not complete darkness. There's a little bit of moonlight or streetlight or whatever it might be. Imagine being completely blind, completely unable to see anything. On top of that, imagine in that situation not being at a wonderful hospital or medical place, but being in, a, in an area by the side of a street where you have to beg for alms and beg for food and money, whatever you can get. Such is the blind beggar of our text this morning, probably familiar to many of you, but each time we come to the Word of God, even a familiar passage, there should be something there that the Holy Spirit will bring to our minds. And as we look at this today, I think we're going to discover some important lessons we can learn, and at the, after we go through the text, I want to share what those are with you. In verse 46, we are introduced to the city of Jericho. It's about five miles west of the Jordan River. 
about 15 minutes, 15 miles, should I say, northeast of Jerusalem. It's been estimated that there were at least about 100,000 people who lived there. Don't ask me how they figured it out, but somebody did. Possibly Jericho was second only to Jerusalem in importance in the area of Judea. Uh, to the west were streams and aqueducts that brought water into the city. And, of course, they had the Jordan River on the east. So it was a very well-watered place, a very productive area. And so it was right on the center of trade routes. Many people went back and forth here. So it was a very important city. At this time, there were two Jerichos. There was the old city of Jericho, of the Falling Walls. But there was a new Jericho to the south that King Herod had built. as kind of an updated city and a place where he could come for uh, his winter uh, vacations and that sort of thing. Uh, this helps to explain the fact there are two cities, why Mark here tells us in verse 46, they came to Jericho, whereas Luke in a parallel passage says they were leaving Jericho. Well, it doesn't mean the Bible's conflicting with itself. Probably it simply means that the blind beggar of our text was in old Jericho. Jer- Jesus is about ready to leave old Jericho, and then he'll come into new Jericho where he'll run across Zacchaeus and that incident there. Mark tells us he was leaving uh, Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd. So he's come through the old city of Jericho. He's about ready to leave. A great crowd. Let's not think of this as 25 people or even 100 people. I, I think there were thousands of people. We know what it's like in our day to see a, a dignitary or celebrity. And it doesn't take long for thousands of people to gather around that particular individual. So I'm sure that's the way it was with Jesus. Well, it was in that city, on that particular day, that Mark focuses our attention here upon what happened, especially on one particular man, and we have his name. Mark usually doesn't give names of people that Jesus dealt with, but certainly this is one that he does. Bartimaeus, which means, as Mark explains for his eventual audience, son Bar-Timaeus, son of Timaeus. The fact he uses his name probably indicates that when Mark wrote this some years later from the incident, many people were still aware of that name, Bartimaeus. It was well known even in the church of that particular first century. He was a blind beggar sitting by the roadside, very common in Bible times, even common today. Beggars sitting by the side, leprosy, blindness, whatever it might be, a very sad situation. But as with most blind people, he had one good thing going for him. What was that? Hearing. It said that blind people can hear very, very well. And so we're told in verse 47 that he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was the one about all the commotion. Because on that day, he heard some very strange things. Things seemed different. The crowds of people seemed larger. They were moving and bustling in a different way. The sound and tread of their footsteps seemed to be of a little different nature than most people passing by. And so Luke tells us that he asked the question, what this meant. So we can see this man by the roadside sitting there. He said, what's going on? Something unusual is happening here. So somebody tell me what's happening. And so the answer came, as Luke also gives it, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Ira Sankey was the song leader for the Moody 
Dwight Moody uh, crusades back at the end of the 1800s. And he was quite a poet and wrote a lot of hymn verses. And he wrote this little uh, verse from a hymn. And in the word, in this poem, there's a word pray. It doesn't mean praying. It means like pray tell, that, that idea there, or a request. All right? What means this eager, anxious throng, which moves with busy haste along? These wondrous gatherings, day by day, what means the strange commotion, pray? In accent hushed, the throng reply, Jesus of Nazareth passes by. So Bartimaeus, Jesus of Nazareth, is passing by right now. He's headed out to the walls of the city. Soon he's going to go through the gates. Then he's going to head for Jerusalem. He will not be back this way again. You won't have another opportunity. Bartimaeus is now or never. Blind man, do something! Bartimaeus did something. Mark tells us, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out. This was not the usual cry of a beggar like that. Their cries were usually, alms, alms, please give me something. This was a, a, requ- a, a cry, should I say, full of, of sincerity, full of anguish, full of desperation. He realized, indeed, that the miracle worker of whom he had heard about was passing by. He had to do something. What could he do? All he could do was cry out with a loud voice, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Somehow, in previous days, He had heard about Jesus and learned something about him. His claims to even to be the Messiah. Jesus, son of David. That was a messianic term. And so he had some idea who Jesus claimed to be. And he had enough faith that somehow Jesus could help him. You know, right there, I talked about conversion a moment ago. Repentance and faith. We have a little example of this here. It's very small, but it's there. As this man reaches out for Jesus to help him in his time of need. So what was the response to what he said? What he cried out? Verse 48. And many rebuked him. They rebuked him. Tell that guy to shut up. Hey, blind man, we don't need to hear from you. Wow. Why such a response from these people? Several possibilities. One, such yelling seemed out of touch with Christ's dignity as a rabbi. Perhaps there were some there who were offended by the fact that he was acknowledged as the son of David, those who didn't like Jesus. Why should he be disturbed by a blind beggar of all people? Besides, Jesus must not be delayed in his journey 
to Jerusalem. Well, whatever the reason, how did Bartimaeus respond to that? Verse 48, many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. This is a guy who's pretty well focused, isn't he? Focused. I have a need. Jesus, I believe you can help me with that need. I'm focusing on you. He had believing confidence that Jesus could accomplish what he so desperately wanted and needed. As we come to verse 49, those first verses, first words in this verse capture our attention if we take enough time to think about it. How does verse 49 begin? And Jesus stopped. Isn't that a neat thought? Think about that. Crowds of people around him. He's moving toward Jerusalem. He hears the cry of the blind beggar and he stops. Now, this was not the only time in Jesus' ministry that he stopped and dealt with an individual. Remember the woman that had a problem for over 12 years? She sought doctor's help. Nobody could help her. And he stopped for her. He soon will stop in New Jericho for Zacchaeus and go to his house. But still, it was rather unusual. He, he always seemed to be on the move, doing things, doing good, as the Scripture says. He went about doing good. He he was active in his teaching. He dealt with crowds of people. But Jesus was never too busy to stop for one individual, even a blind beggar crying out to him. He must stop. And Jesus then spoke. Call him. Tell that man to come to me. Now, this had to have stunned those that just a moment ago were saying, tell that guy to shut up. And of all the people that Jesus invited to to come to him, it was that guy who just yelled out those words. But at least some responded to Christ's authority, and they did what Jesus said to do. We read on that they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. He's calling you. We are reminded of similar words in John chapter 11, where Jesus came to Mary and Martha's house after Lazarus had died. And Jesus said to Martha, go go tell Mary to come here. I want to talk to her. And Martha goes running into Mary and says, the master's calling for you. And so it was this day. Blind man, Jesus of Nazareth, is calling for you. Now we're quite aware of servants who serve their masters. That's the way it's normally done. But here the Lord of all waits upon one lower than a servant, a blind beggar. May I remind you or point out to you the verse right before our text this morning, verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And he's doing that here in a remarkable way, on his way to give his life a ransom for many. In verse 50, it's not a long verse, but there's something here that gives certain details of the narrative 
We believe that Mark got much of his information for writing his gospel from Peter. And Peter would have been an eyewitness of what happened. And so we we can almost hear Peter sharing these words with Mark, using all the picturesque eloquence at his command to try to get some idea of this. Mark, I, I will never forget that day. When he invited this blind man to come, the blind man threw off his cloak, the outer garment, so he wouldn't stumble over that. And he sprang up. He'd been sitting a long time. I don't know how he did that, but it was amazing how quickly he got up. And he asked for help for somebody to direct him to Jesus. He came. Mark, it was a wonderful time. Wonderful incident there. And so the blind man comes. Verse 50. Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? Now, that seems like a strange question for Jesus to ask. Jesus, the eternal son of God, he knew what this was about. Why did Jesus ask that question? Well, Jesus often asked questions and got in conversations with people, make sure they understood what was going on and what it meant to trust in him and put their faith and belief in him. He knew what Barnabas wanted to do, but for Barnabas' sake... And for the sake of his disciples, whom he always was training, the twelve, and for the sake of the people who are all around, the thousands of them, he asked that question. And how did Bartimaeus answer? The blind man said to him in the middle of verse 51, Rabbi, which is a common term for teachers and masters of the day, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Literally, in the Greek, it's let me be able to look up. As a blind man, I've been looking down so much. I can't see anything, really, but my head's bowed. I'm down here by the roadside, begging, eking out a living. Oh, Master, if somehow I could lift my head up and look my eyes, see my eyes and see again. That's my need. I've been in darkness too much. I want light. And you put that request or that statement with the fact he acknowledged Jesus as the son of David. And we see that he believed that Jesus was the one of whom the prophets had spoken, the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, of which undoubtedly he was acquainted enough to reach out to Jesus. Verse 52. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well, and immediately he recovered his sight. My friend, your prayer is about ready to be answered, so you can go ahead and depart. No longer do you even need to be in my presence. You can go about your normal business. In fact, it's going to be an increased wonderful business now. A life for you because you are going to be able to see. Your faith made you well. The fact that you believed in me, had confidence in me, who I was, what I could do for you, that's the faith that I'm going to respond to. And immediately, one of Mark's favorite words in his gospel occurs quite frequently. Immediately, he recovered his sight. 
Boom. There it was. And suddenly, he could see. What a moment for him. From total blindness to glorious sight. What must he have seen? A crowd of people. The buildings of the city of Jericho. Palm trees. Walls. The hills of Moab in the distance. Blue sky. I wanted to be able to look up, and there it is. Look at that sky. But of course, most of all, he would have looked around for Jesus himself, the one who gave him sight. Looking into the face of Jesus, who Luke tells us he had already set his face to go to Jerusalem. And that was the face that Bartimaeus sought out. Now, our text does not end with the word sight in verse 52. Mark also gives us this information. He followed him on the way. Jesus has said what? Go your way. But Bartimaeus realized, I want to follow Jesus' way. Now, there's not much said there, but the implication certainly is that he became a follower of Jesus and was involved with him in the days to come. His testimony was like the blind man of John chapter 9. Once I was blind, but now I can see. Okay, so there's the account that Mark has given to us. Um, I've gone through the scriptures. Now, we're in the 21st century, so what can we learn from this? First of all, there's value, obviously. This is a wonderful example of the blindness, spiritual blindness of humanity, even in our day. We are surrounded with people that spiritually cannot understand and see the truth. Intellectually, they may know certain things about the Bible and about Jesus, even about the gospel. But that's about as far as it goes. This text is far larger than simply a mere historical incident. It represents the spiritual darkness which grips all mankind. Paul says in Romans 5, 12, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread upon all men because all have sinned. All are spiritually blind. When Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians 5, verse 8, he said, at one time you were in darkness. Do you remember that, Ephesians? Remember when you were in spiritual darkness, but God has brought through Jesus light and understanding of who he is and what he has done for you. In our day, the eyes of so many are darkened to the extent that they just don't even see their sinful condition to begin with. And so they have no desire to repent of it because they don't even know what it is. It's not that big of a thing. We noticed that in Sunday school this morning. Our teacher said, well, sin's not that big. I try to do my best. Sin is pretty big in the sight of God. We're surrounded by blind Bartimaeuses all over. 2 Corinthians 4.4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. So keep in mind, friends, that as you talk with fellow workers or neighbors or relatives, wherever it is, they don't understand what sin is, let alone what repentance is, let alone what salvation is. Those kind of terms are meaningless, so we have to really make sure we help them to understand even the very terms themselves. So there's one lesson. The second lesson is the lesson, obviously, of... Saving faith, of which we read in the confession a moment ago. Barnabas' faith was not just, I kind of hope I can recover my sight, but an affirmation of confident trust 
and the gracious mercy of Christ and his power to heal. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He believed that Jesus of Nazareth could do that for him. John Calvin writes, And if it was in regard to faith that God bestowed his favor on the blind man, it follows that he was justified by that faith. What does that mean? He was declared not guilty in the sight of God. His sins were forgiven. Now, Bartimaeus, at this point in his life, he's not aware of the cross yet, but he was aware a Messiah would be a suffering servant. So there was enough there to help him to put his trust in Jesus. So Jesus blessed him not only physically, but spiritually as well. Some of you know that the, in Greek, the same Greek word appears sometimes translated healed, sometimes saved. It's the same word. We have healing and saving coalescing in blind Bartimaeus in our text this morning. His eyes were opened because it was a gift from the Lord himself. Spiritually, we can only understand the things of God by change of our heart. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The faith that saves is a belief in the person and work of Jesus Conviction, the trust. If you confess with your heart, your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Romans 10. A third lesson, sovereign grace. Why just Bartimaeus? Weren't there other people there that needed to be released from their blindness and their physical infirmities? Weren't there other people who in some way cried out to Jesus of Nazareth? Of course there were. But in the divine election of the sovereign God, that day, Jesus only focused on Bartimaeus in that setting. We see this time and time again in Christ's earthly ministry. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus is in the crowds, but he'd stop and talk to this person over here, the blind, the woman with her needs, Bartimaeus, Zacchaeus, even on the cross, not both prisoners, both both criminals, but the one criminal, today you shall be with me in paradise. We don't understand the sovereign working of God, why he opens up some hearts and not others. If he's opened up your heart, praise the Lord for that. Otherwise you could not see. And then a fourth and final lesson here. Discipleship. It was not enough for Bartimaeus simply to cry out and be relieved of his blindness. He realized he needed to follow Jesus in his way. It's not enough simply to make a decision to accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord, but you need to commit your whole life to him the rest of your days here on earth. He followed him in the way, and we only have to use our imagination to think of the possibility that he one day, the eyes that now could see, saw Jesus on a cross. And it could be that Bartimaeus was one of the eyewitnesses of the resurrection. One of the men that Mark might have interviewed even, or Luke or Matthew or John. We don't know that for sure, but it's a possibility. 
Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness and have the light of life. If you say you believe in Jesus and you continue to dwell in the darkness, you don't have the light of the light. 1 John 1, 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So there's much more to Christianity than just making a decision of some kind. It talks about a whole life. And this man's life was changed. So as I conclude, those of us here, I'm sure there are many, hopefully all of you, I don't know your hearts, in some way, whether you were a little child, whether you were 12 years old, whether you were a teenager, whether you were in your 50s or 60s, somewhere along the line, you understood what it meant to be a sinner before a holy God. And you cried out for mercy, maybe not in a great emotional way, in a loud voice like Bartimaeus did, but in your heart you said, Lord, I see I'm a sinner. I'm under your judgment. I believe Jesus is the answer. Jesus, have mercy on me. Come into my life. Change me. Forgive my sins. It's a wonderful thing. Praise the Lord for that. Maybe there are some in this room today you have not done that. But Jesus of Nazareth continues to walk by many who listen to his words and they don't cry out. For many people, they've missed the moment. Maybe they grew up in the church and the time came and said, enough of that, and off they go, and they've missed their moment. Or they've heard the gospel explained to them and they almost do it, uh, not quite, and that moment is gone. You need to hear the words of the prophet Isaiah, 55, verse 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord that he may have compassion on him, and to our God who will abundantly pardon. Join me in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We have a Savior, we have a Lord, we have his Spirit that dwells in our hearts. And surely we pray for any in this room today who have not yet cried out for mercy to Jesus, that you would move in their hearts, help them to focus and think about what we have shared for these moments, and help them indeed to turn unto you for pardon and forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen.